Now, this morning we want to invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to the passage which Yang read for us in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be camping out on this passage now for the next several weeks. It'll be interrupted next week with the missionary emphasis, but we're going to be looking at uh, the various fruit of the Spirit as we talk about uh, how important it is that our characters are conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, speak to us. Open our minds and our hearts to your truth. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Character is an issue of the heart. Some of the most encouraging words that Jesus ever gave are found in the book of John and chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 8, he says that uh, he has called us to be fruit bearers. And he says that this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then in John 15 and verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you would go and bear much fruit, fruit that lasts. Each one of us as Christ followers are called to be fruit-bearing, productive, lifelong learners and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason he's transformed us, the reason he has helped us to transition from death unto life is that we become fruit-bearing Christians, that we are following the Lord Jesus and experiencing His blessing and His power in our lives. But we can only become fruit-bearing Christ followers as we allow the Holy Spirit, who we receive at the moment of salvation, to come into our lives and transform us and renew us on a daily basis. We have been transformed so that we can bear fruit that will last, so that our characters become more and more like Jesus on a regular basis. The late Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew, he describes this kind of life as spiritual breathing. He says that we, we inhale, uh, just we breathe in, yielding ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit every day, asking Him to mold us and make us into His kind of people. So we inhale, surrendering to Jesus, allowing Him to take over the leadership of our lives, and then we exhale by confessing every known sin and getting the, the deck cleared between ourselves and the Lord, and then thanking Him for His forgiveness. So this this spiritual breathing, we inhale, we exhale, we surrender to Jesus, we make sure that our lives are in a, uh, uh, a position of blessing as we seek to be more and more like Christ. Now, I'd like to share three very significant observations about the fruit of the Spirit here this morning. First of all, the fruit of the Spirit evidences supernatural life. 
these nine character traits that Paul discloses here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, are not the evidence of human effort, but rather the evidence of God's matchless grace. We cannot in our own human strength make ourselves fruit-bearing Christians. We can only bear fruit as the Holy Spirit molds us and shapes us, and it's all because of the grace of God. We can't make enough resolutions, observe enough rules, or enter enough periods of quiet meditation and reflection. We cannot do anything to make ourselves spiritually productive. That is something that the Holy Spirit does within us. And as we are obedient to God's Word, through the influence of the Holy Spirit, we can be fruitful, Christ-like followers of Jesus. I love what W.A. Criswell said. He said, fruitage in the Spirit requires rootage in the Spirit. In other words, our roots need to go down deep into the love of Christ so that the end result is a fruit-bearing Christ follower that is not taken up with himself or herself, they are taken up with Jesus. And just as the apples are the fruit of a blossoming apple tree whose roots go down deep into the ground, so these nine character traits of spirit-controlled living are the outward evidences of a life that is deeply rooted and grounded in Christ. We mentioned this last Sunday just in passing, but it's important to understand that he speaks here in verse 22 about the fruit singular of the Spirit in contrast to the acts, plural, of the sinful nature. Notice in verse 19 he talks about the acts of the sinful nature, which is plural, but Verse 22, but the fruit, doesn't talk about the fruits of the Spirit, he talks about the fruit singular of the Spirit. See, the acts of the sinful nature are what we display when we're out of step with the Holy Spirit. And when we're out of step with the Holy Spirit, there is conflict and contention and discord in our lives. In fact, these Various acts of the flesh are in competition with each other. Each one wants to rule the other. For example, hatred wants to beat out fits of rage and jealousy, desires to win over discord and envy, determines to better selfish ambition and immoral living, desires to have the upper hand over impurity in the realm of our thoughts. So these acts of the sinful nature they're always in competition, one trying to win out over the other. But in contrast, the fruit singular of the Spirit is competition-free. You see, the graces of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, they're not in competition with each other. They are a unit, not warring factions, vying for self-destruction. Love is not at odds with joy, and joy is not in conflict with peace, and peace is not out to eclipse patience, and patience is not on a bandwagon against kindness. To the contrary, each 
of the nine fruit contributes to the richness and the beauty of the other eight. And so we need to understand that what God wants to produce within us, he wants us to put uh, uh, to death, put, put on the side the acts that are in competition with each other, and he wants us to develop this, this fruit, this singleness of purpose that builds our characters so that we become more like Jesus. Charles Stanley, in his book, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life, I believe, is right on. He says this, quote, The presence of these characteristics makes a person more attractive, pleasant to be around, and a joy to work with and for. They make for better customer relations, better marriages, better parent-child relations, better everything. You cannot lose by walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Don't you love to be around people who don't have agendas, who just ooze Jesus? Jesus is so significant in their lives that you cannot help but recognize that there's something unique about them because they have been captured by the Holy Spirit and He is leading and directing in their lives. One final observation. observation, The fruit of the Spirit focuses on character not on conduct. Conduct is what we do. Character is who we are. And my friends, God is far more interested in who we are than in what we do. And all too often, with all realizing it, we can become so preoccupied with Christian conduct doing all the right things, going to multiple Bible studies, puppeting back all the right answers, and making good impressions on our Christian peers that we overlook and we neglect our characters. And this is why some wonderful Christian people, people that we know, people that have had an impact on the kingdom, these wonderful people can eventually end up so out of character. How is it possible How is it possible for nationally known musicians and pastors go off the deep end because of having affairs? They leave their wives and their kids. It's tragic what happens. How is it possible for Sunday school teachers and church leaders to be physically abusive and addicted to pornography? How is this possible? How is it possible that we can get so focused on the style of our worship and what we wear that we forget about lost people, people that are lost in our communities? We get so hung up on things that really don't matter, and we don't take care of our inner man, our inner person. The problem is internal. You see, those who end up acting out of character... Something has happened. They've been so focused on making an appearance, but internally, they've been wasting away because they have not been cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And they have taken all this for granted. And then when it happens, and we're shocked that this could ever happen to these people that are so well-known, that have had all this, this uh, uh, marvelous publicity about them? Well, what's happened? Well, 
They got a little bit too focused on doing all the right things, putting on that Christian facade, but they never really developed the character traits that God calls us to develop as his people. They kind of sloughed that off. They thought, well, you know, I can handle the acts of the flesh. I can, I can do this, and I can get this close without getting burned, and nobody's going to know about it. No one will ever know. And then we know about it, and what do we say? We say, that, that person's totally acted out. Well, what's happened? They have neglected that inner part of their life that is so desperately important for us to develop. And so this morning... I submit to you that we can't do right until we are right. We can only be right when we walk every day in the empowering influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to look at this first cluster of fruit. The first cluster of fruit is all tied together with our relationship, our internal relationship with the living God. And John Stott, in his commentary, he puts it this way. He says that a Christian's first love is his love of God. His chief joy is his joy in God. And his deepest peace is his peace with God. And so we want to look at each one of these fruit that are so important that we develop in our lives so that our character, our conduct, let me put it this way, our conduct doesn't trump our character. First of all, Christ-like love. Notice verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, C.J. Rolls has characterized the fruit of the Spirit as the eight elements of love. Joy is love's cheerfulness. Peace is love's confidence. Patience is love's composure. Kindness is love's consideration. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's constancy. Gentleness is love's comeliness. And self-control is love's conquest. When we are in step with the Holy Spirit, Christ-like other-centered kind of love finds rootage in our hearts. Let's describe that kind of love. First of all, this Christ-like love is a supernatural love. It does not come uh, by way of uh, us drumming up something within ourselves. It is a love that the Holy Spirit pours out in our hearts when by faith... We put our trust in the Lord Jesus. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 puts it very clearly that when we receive Jesus, he inundates us. He pulls out all the bad and he inundates us with this incredible supernatural love that we can't drum up ourselves, but is something that the Holy Spirit begins to work on in our lives. Loving Christ supremely and loving others supernaturally is the badge of our discipleship. Jesus affirms in John 13 and 35, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
You see, the more that we love others, the greater will be our pursuit in loving God. And the more we pursue loving God, the greater will be our love for each other. Not only is Christ-like love supernatural, it is sacrificial. Jesus teaches his followers in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. All throughout his ministry, Jesus was not one that asserted himself. He was always thinking of someone else. Instead of asserting himself, what does Jesus do? He sacrifices himself. He lays down his agenda. And he offers his life on the cross for us. So that we could have a permanent relationship with God forever. Now when sacrificial love is nurtured in our lives, we will be willing to lay down our lives for each other. We won't always be looking out for ourselves. Most of us, myself included, we, we have a tendency to look after ourselves. But when Christ-like love is cultivated and nurtured within us, we are willing to put the interests of others before our own interests. And this sacrificial love that Christ displays throughout his earthly ministry and ultimately displays in going to the cross and laying down his life for us, we in turn will be willing to lay down our lives for each other. A true friend is someone that knows us through and through. And no matter what he knows about us, he loves us. In true friendship, score sheets are not kept. Indeed, the focus is on what can I do to contribute to the relationship. And so sacrificial love is always looking for ways that can serve others and encourage others to succeed. Number three, Christ-like love is self-evident love. More than anything else, Christ-like love impacts human relationships. When that sacrificial, Christ-like, other-centered kind of love is present, you don't have to tell people that you love them. It'll be self-evident. They will notice by your actions and by your attitudes. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives us a beautiful example of this. If you want to turn to it, keep your finger there in Galatians. But 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this kind of love that is a self-evident love as the Holy Spirit does his work within us. Notice beginning at verse 8, love never, or excuse me, verse um, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And that is the kind of love that we are to cultivate in our daily lives as we seek to be more like Jesus. And then finally, Christ-like love is single-minded love. 
In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, John exclaims, We love because he first loved us. When we had no capacity to love, his love for us was single, single-minded. He loved us in spite of ourselves. He loved us in spite of our sins. And when we are captured and controlled by God's great love, it drives us to love one another, even our enemies and those with whom we do not agree or with those who do not return our love. Verse John chapter 4, 20 to 21, John says, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, when the Holy Spirit is at work within us, he keeps us tender in our relationships with each other. Christ-like Love moves us from the natural way of living to a supernatural way of living. It enables us to overcome selfishness and and egocentric living. It empowers us to be better partners and better parents, better employees and better employers. Don't you love to be around people that just, they don't don't have any ax to grind. (laughs) They just love Jesus. They are so in love with Jesus. It's amazing. We love to be around those kind of folks. That's what Christ-like love is. It's a character trait that we feed and that we nurture because the Holy Spirit is calling the shots in our lives. Number two, he talks about Christ-like joy. Love, joy. Joy permeates our lives as Christ followers. There are several things we need to note about this kind of joy. Number one, Christ-like joy is an inner attitude. It's an inner attitude that supersedes happiness. Joy's source is Christ, not circumstances. Circumstances change. Difficulties will come and go, but Jesus remains the same. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And oftentimes we can confuse joy with happiness. And this is unfortunate. Happiness is external, whereas joy is internal. Now, just follow me for a minute. You cannot be happy and unhappy at the same time. Now, you may be happy one moment, and then unhappy the next, but you cannot be both happy and unhappy at the very same time. They cannot coexist at the same time together. On the other hand, joy and difficulty or hardship may and often do exist together at the same time. You can be going through an incredible, difficult situation that is beyond you and yet still have joy. Not happiness, but you can have this this joy that is produced within you. This is why there is no comparison, really, between happiness and joy. It's interesting that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, 
Paul commends them because, quote, you became imitators of us and the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy. Joy and difficulty oftentimes coexist together. And it's that joy that helps us to get through the difficulty and to get through the hardship that otherwise would overwhelm us. John chapter 15 and verse 11, the Bible speaks that his joy is what makes our relationship with Christ complete. Joy infuses us with new strength. What did Nehemiah say? He said, the joy of the Lord is my... Oh, that was weak. The joy of the Lord is my... Strength. You weak this morning? You're right on, buddy. We can have joy no matter what the difficulties are. Now, that, that's supernatural living. That, that cannot be said of a person who doesn't have a relationship to Christ. A person outside uh, a relationship with Jesus, when they're going through difficulty, uh, they go for substitutes, like drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. And they look for some kind of a... a, a a artificial high. Let me tell you something. The joy of the Lord gives you a high with no hangover. It's the joy, the joy that comes because we are developing this wonderful relationship with the Lord Jesus. Not only does joy supersede happiness, number two, joy secures contentment. In Philippians, Paul is Continuing to rejoice in everything that God does. Philippians is the joy book. In fact, chapter 1, verse 18, Paul rejoices because Christ is being proclaimed. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 28, he anticipates the joy that the Philippians are going to experience when Epaphroditus returns to them following his brush with death. In chapter 3 and verse 1, he says that we can continue to rejoice in spite of discouraging circumstances. And in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Philippians is a book of joy. And Paul's not in the best of circumstances when he wrote that book. <coughs> Excuse me. He was under house arrest. He was limited he didn't have access to his family and friends. He had wanted to visit the Philippians, but he was unable to do so. And yet, he continued to rejoice. Contentment is not having everything you want. It does not come by winning the lottery or having a facelift or a tummy tuck. Contentment doesn't come by changing mates changing jobs, or relocating to a new community. True contentment is the result of this incredible joy produced in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Joy in Christ is a character trait that cannot be counterfeited. I don't know about you, but there is one person in particular that comes to my mind who whenever we see her in any kind of an interview or any kind of a circumstance, 
she just bubbles forth joy. And I'm thinking of Kathy Lee Gifford. If you've ever seen her in any kind of a talk show or whatever, she just oozes Jesus. She is so winsome. She's so excited about Jesus. I mean, the joy is just bubbling up in her conversations. I mean, the person that's interviewing them, their whole countenance changes because here's a young woman who is full of the Holy Spirit and joy. She can't contain her joy. It just spills over into all these other relationships. You see, that is a mark of someone who is controlled by the Holy Spirit. There is a joy that <laughs> you can't duplicate and it's different in each one of our lives, but it's something that is evidential of the fact that we're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, he talks about Christ-like peace. The final fruit is peace. And the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, which means wholeness or completeness or fulfillment. You see, peace from a, from a Hebrew point of view is not is much more than the absence of strife. It is experiencing an unimpaired relationship with Jesus Christ where there's nothing between us and the Lord Jesus. The, the deck is clear. We're at peace with God. We've made our peace with him, and his peace is, is running uh, our lives. The Greek word for peace primarily means harmony. It's God's intention, my friends, that we experience an unimpaired relationship with God, but that we also live in harmony with each other. And harmony doesn't come by accident. You see, harmony is something that happens, again, as our characters come under the influence of the Spirit of God. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus encouraged his followers to what? To live in peace. In Matthew, he encourages us to be peacemakers. And again, this character trait, just like love and joy, is internal. Christ-like peace finds its source in Christ. Notice John 14 and verse 27, peace. I leave with you my peace, I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In a word, peace is the presence of God. And to be aware of his presence, even when we're in a difficult situation, has a calming effect upon our lives. A peace, peace, <laughs> we, we don't become quite upset with the other person when Christ's peace is in control. And what enhances this is a love and obedience to the word of God. Psalm 119 to 165, this psalmist says, listen, great peace have they who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. That's a pretty powerful verse. When we are in love with the Word of God and His character is being shaped within us, great peace to those have who love this book. 
And this book becomes their very best friend in every situation of life. In fact, in Psalm 119, 111, 112, the psalmist says, Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on obeying your decrees to the very end. You see, when we are falling more deeply in love with Jesus every day, his peace is the happy consequence. Number two, Christ-like love is the antidote, or Christ-like peace, excuse me, is the greatest antidote we have to worry and fear. There are many today that are living in fear and dread. In fact, a loneliness. I was mentioning this to the class this morning. If you're listening to what's happening in our culture, there is a terrible sense that's sweeping our country of loneliness. It's the aftermath of COVID, where we've been isolated from each other. There are so many today that are isolated from one another. But when we have this wonderful peace of God, it takes away worry and fear. It doesn't mean that we're not concerned about things, but we don't let worry or fear get the best of us. Paul puts it very clearly in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here it is, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, it's God's peace that we cultivate that keeps worry and fear at bay. And then thirdly, Christ-like peace is the umpire in our lives. Colossians 3.15 puts it this way, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Put a circle around that word rule. That word rule comes from the athletic world, meaning to decide, to control, or to umpire. Now, in any kind of an athletic event, there has to be someone in charge. In football, it's the field judge. In basketball, it's the referee. In baseball, it's the umpire. Somebody has to be willing to call balls and strikes. You're safe or you're out. If you've ever tried to play a baseball game with no umpire, like you did as a kid, you spent most of the time arguing over the calls whether you were safe or out or whether it was a ball or a strike because no one was in charge. But you see, when we allow the Holy Spirit to control us, the peace of Jesus becomes the umpire. He controls us. And he enables us to soar. He says the peace of Christ is like an umpire. It's what helps us to make God-honoring decisions. It prompts us to choose the high road when we're tempted to choose the low road. Christ's peace prompts us to be kind and gentle and humble in our relationships with each other. Christ's peace strengthens us to be true to our values and to the convictions that God has given to us. When the character trait of peace is calling the shots, we don't get bent out of shape when things don't go our way. 
circumstances that are beyond us no longer get the best of us. We no longer live our lives in chaos and contradiction. God's peace rules. Quite some time ago, back in the 90s, early 90s, America was glued to their television sets watching the chase of O.J. Simpson. I'm sure many of you watched that with bated breath. Actually, it was like a home video for us because we lived in that area. Our middle daughter, Dawn, attended Paul Revere School where all this initiated. All those streets that they were running up and down, it, we could pick out every detail. We knew exactly where they were. It's one of the tragic events of our time. When O.J. was just a young man in high school, Willie Mays, the great baseball player, knew that someday O.J., because of his natural abilities, would have it all. And his words to O.J. as a young man were very simple and to the point. Fame is a vapor. Popularity is an accident. Money takes wings. Write this down. The only thing that endures is character. Friends, when everything is stripped away from our lives, the only thing that matters is not what we do, it's the character within. And if you followed the story of O.J., he is still trying to find his character. He still is on the lookout for something that he never really grasped because it was all about outward actions. The only thing that endures is character. Don't let that escape you this morning. Number two, we need to ask ourselves this question. Is this triad of fruit evident in our lives? Is love and joy and peace being cultivated on a daily basis in our lives? And number three, are we falling more and more in love with Jesus every single day? When that becomes our passion, to know Christ and to know him more and more and to experience more of his love, his joy, and his peace, then we are on our way to being in step with the Holy Spirit and experiencing the blessing of God as we never have before. Let's stand together, shall we please, for closing prayer. Father in heaven, we love you this morning. Many of us have heard these words many, many times. We're so prone to forget 
we can forget so easily. The acts of the sinful nature seem to dominate. This cluster of fruit, love, and joy, and peace often becomes pushed into the background. But Lord, today help us to make a great exchange. Help us to once again crucify that old nature. That nature which is not of you, let us nail it once again to the cross and fill us anew today, each one of us, with your love, your joy, and your peace so that we can experience this wonderful journey of living every single day in step with your precious Holy Spirit. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you.